Women Making Waves. So you have been a bit under the weather then, Susie Thorpe. I have, Linda, and that's probably an understatement, actually. Yeah, it's not been good, COVID. Having mm-hmm. COVID, even though you are double vaccinated, you still get it. Let's just put that one do. out. Yes, let, let's get that very, very yeah. loud and clear, actually. And mm. you can still spread it as well. All exactly. this nonsense about it's not that bad. I mean, you felt absolutely dreadful, didn't you? Mm, absolutely. If, it, if you can say flu and then and then times it by a thousand, mm. that's what it was like. And not only is flu, sometimes it lasts for a week, this lasted for about 10, 12 days. So yeah, not good. And it's a very interesting time, isn't it? Because you said it earlier on, didn't you, that you think you had this yeah, way well, before. Yeah, I thought I had it, but that was in the December 2019, before it was a mm. thing. But I always have, Susie, been a bit of a, a trendsetter <laughs> in that kind of way, you know. I'm probably patient zero. I'm probably the one that, that cultivated it in December when I when I got it. And then I just spread it around the rest of the nation and the world. Yes, exactly. And and no one's blaming you, Linda. Thank God no, for that. Well, no, not up to the second anyway. <laughs> yes, that's it's right. probably not going to be safe to go you. out. You should have had a trendy illness. I mean, it's, yes, it's a bit trendy. more glamorous to say you've had COVID than just to say, I had a bit of a cold. Yes, I've had a bit of a cold. Yeah, you're right. But it is... It's so not glamorous, is it? Yeah, it's all joking all apart. It's, it's yeah, not, joking apart. But it's it not is, funny. Yes, it is. It is. It's, it and and don't you find as well that when you talk about your experience of COVID and you know lots of people now, don't you, Linda? That have, have got mm-hmm. it. It's almost like again the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about it. They they just want to forget it. Someone's had it. Oh dear, that's awful. And then they carry on with their lives as if it's normal. So nobody wears masks, even though we are surrounded and cases are going up and up and up. I know. Thankfully. I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of people that aren't wearing masks mm. at the moment. Mm. When I set foot, reluctantly set foot, <laughs> outside of my door, I'm just amazed at the amount of people. You know, down the local shop, nobody, including the staff, nobody wearing a mask. Yeah. And you just think, Why? Yeah, Why wouldn't I you? Yeah. I, and I'm desperate for somebody to say to me, what are you wearing a mask for? Because they're going to get it both barrels. Yes, that's exactly right. I think it's hard, isn't it? it it's, it's, I think when we go to events or if, like, you know, in the summer we have people over staying at our house and I was suggesting to some of my friends that maybe we, I should ask our friends that are coming to stay with us to take a COVID test, you know, a lateral flow test. And... It's almost shocking that I've even mentioned that, mm. that people should do that. So I don't understand. I, I think you should have served them up with breakfast every morning. I think, you know, here's your, <laughs> yeah, here's exactly. your egg, here's your toast, here's your lateral protest. <laughs> I, right. I think that's what you should have done. <laughs> feel free, feel free to eat your breakfast before you do it if you want. Because you know, it is a bit ev- off-putting, to be honest. It is. And, and please don't sit at the table and do it, because it's very off-putting. Yes, especially we- if other people are still eating their toast. Well, I suppose what you could do, instead of actually serving them a toast rack, you'd serve them a mirror. <laughs> a mirror. <laughs> or a COVID rack. A test in each, in each rack of the, where the toast should be. Exactly. So you just have to look at the mirror as you put... Yeah, I mean, joke aside, it is, a, it, is a, it is one that you have to think about. Anyway, um, they could use the back of their spoon as a mirror, couldn't they, yeah. really? Save a mirror. Think, but do you think, though, in future, when we have people over for, say, dinner, that we say to them, take your test, take your test. No, yeah. you don't serve them the, 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 the test. But do you say to them, look, do you mind if you just take a test just to make doubly sure. And it's like you're asking them to wipe their bottom in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> or 
or you could you could have a in your porch, you know, before the kids yes, the door. We could have a testing station testing at the porch. Station. <laughs> the door. You don't get in until you've got a clear and I want to see it and I want to see you doing it. I think that would be quite good. Well, that'll be a supervised testing area. Do you know, yes. I love being bossy. That'll be fantastic. I know, you'd quite like that. You I could would. Wear, you could wear a sort of like nurse's kind of cloak, I think, <laughs> a uniform. You could put that on at the door. Just whisk it on and then whisk it off again when, when they've passed. But only if they've passed. And it, yes. Then it'll be a kind of no entry. Well, you then know, they get they get a nice drink if they get a pass. Yeah, I mean, oh, if they get a pass. Yeah, but if, if they, they don't, imagine no. it coming up positive. Yeah, what are you going to yeah. do then? Well, You'd I have to sanitise the whole porch, wouldn't you? I would, Possibly but I do that anyway. Decorate, in fact. <laughs> yes. After they've all left, come on, out you go. And <laughs> imagine, yes, <laughs> imagine just pointing. You'd have to have your mask on. You know, yes. fully yes, masked up while yeah. the. Uh, do you know, I quite like dressing up in a PPE gear and actually yes. being supervised. I That's, knew you would. I would, yeah, yeah. It would be right up my strata, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I'd be there. But maybe I shouldn't be revealing that on the radio. That's probably not a no, good thing. No, you sound like a dominatrix. Yes. <laughs> a Hattie Jakes from Carry On. <laughs> yes, Hattie Jakes. <laughs> that would I be wonder, wonderful. I bet they'd never come back, though. You'd, you'd probably No. Have. You'd managed to whittle down your friends into the people that really liked you. Yes, you're probably right. And the other thing as well, and I've been sort of letting out a few sort of hints at friends and people, I, honestly, this is pretty sad, but it, people say, would you like to come up for, for something to eat? And I go, yes, but where is it? Is it inside or out? And they go, well, it's inside. So, well, no, thank you. <laughs> and not at the moment. <laughs> and of course, uh, invitations have actually gone. They haven't actually come back now because I've I've been a bit mean by that. Oh right, but okay. It's it's something, yeah. Maybe it's forget about because it because it will be cheaper at Christmas. Well, exactly. You know, less cards to send and all that kind of thing. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, lose your friends just before Christmas. Make mm. it cheaper. Oh, and then of course we've got the lorry drivers. It's all going to be problems, isn't it? Because we Apparently. haven't got enough lorry drivers and we're not going to have enough retail moments. Well, Christmas is going to be ruined by all accounts. It's because, completely. Because we can't overindulge <laughs> in spending on absolute rubbish this Christmas. Yes. But of course, there's the food packaging as well because of the gas thing. Yeah, that CO2 thing, isn't it? You know, and the way that oh, they package yes. food to make it, to make it That's safe. That's right. Yes, Gosh, I never thought about that. You're mm-hmm. right. So, so they were saying this could affect turkeys. I was wondering how the shortage of gas was going to affect turkeys. I thought, well, they don't gas them, do they? <laughs> but no. no, 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 no. It's to do with the packaging. And, and yes. they, I think they, I don't quite know what they do, actually. They put something in there. So we then will have to grow our own vegetables and have our own and chickens. And turkeys. Yeah. And turkeys. Mm-hmm. Or go vegetarian like you, Linda. But it would be like, you know, the fact that dogs have become very popular, pets have become very popular, and now people are out to steal them. People will be in your garden stealing your carrots yeah, and your sprouts. And the sprouts, yeah. Oh, and I love a good sprout. I really have you do. got them on to boil yet for Christmas Day? Have you got them no. on? No, 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 no. I'm growing them, though. I'm actually growing sprouts for the first time in my entire okay. life. <laughs> all right. And how are yeah. they doing then? Uh, they're all right. There's only three left after about 12. I don't know what happened to them, but they've been eaten by something. But I'm savouring the that's, two, the that's three. That's the people that are worried about the um, the shortages in the supermarkets. That's They'll be true. Sneaking across your garden, stealing yeah. your sprouts <laughs> and putting them away for Christmas <laughs> in the freezers. Oh, I know what your neighbours are like. I mean, really. I know, I know, I know. I do have to worry about that. But the thing is, if you grow pumpkins, there's no chance of them taking your pumpkins. For no, one, it's a bit why? like Marmite. Well, they're so heavy. 
Why would you want to take a pumpkin? Well, it depends how big they grow, though, doesn't it? Well, mine are big. I mine are big this year. pumpkins are big. Mm, mm. Mm. My yeah. neighbour's got sunflowers. One of them is about 14 feet tall. Wow. I know. Wow. Really, really exceptionally <gasps> tall. Hmm. 14 feet? Well, I haven't been out and measured it, but it looks about 14 <laughs> feet from my kitchen window. I don't know. I may be exaggerating, but it's huge. It's a head and shoulders. Sun, a sunflower head and shoulder above all the other la, rather large sunflowers that they've got out there. Bless. And is it just one? As in they're not many? On its own. It's one. standing on its own at the end. This one has grown very, very tall. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. You're not tempted to sow some for next year, Linda. Sunflowers? Go... Yeah, well, anything. No. Green fingers. You've got a garden. I have got a garden. But, mm-hmm. you know, the other day I found out a big toad lurking <gasps> around the garden. I saw on Facebook. Yes. That was very oh, yes. funny. Yes. Quite a big thing. It jumped out at me. And that was a mistake that I made because the bin was full. The garden bin was full the week before. And I chopped <laughs> some stuff down and put it in a pile, you know. So the next week I dragged the bin round and started picking up with my hands all this. St- and it had gone a bit mulchy underneath. <laughs> and then suddenly this thing jumped out at me. This had a heart attack. I actually yelped. You know when you make a, I would a do the funny same. yelping noise of yeah. terror? And I think that made it him. worse. I did. Yes. And he leapt Poor again. Toad. I know. So anyway, you got confused there between a frog and a toad. Mm-hmm. So you were quite anxious not to kiss the frog. I wasn't going to kiss you... any of them, no. no. <laughs> nothing. I kiss nothing in this COVID era. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah. Anyway, he managed to, you you managed not to squash him and he was able to jump away the toad Mm -hmm. and frighten somebody else probably in another garden. I don't know. He's maybe still out there. I haven't dared to go back in the garden. That'll be (laughs) it for next year now. The toad has won. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast. Brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Absolutely delighted on the show to have a return visit from Imogen Grant Susie. Mm. Imogen, as you'll remember, um, was one of our rowers at the Olympic Games and she did magnificently. She did indeed, and we were so excited to talk to her just before she went off, didn't we? To I know. The, and when, on you, the when you see them, when, when they're one of your women making waves, you feel it's like yeah. one of your children, don't you? It is, isn't it? You do feel so she was one of out. us. Send yes. them out into the world. And yes, off they absolutely. Go. Yes. She wasn't thinking that, but we were no, thinking that. No, not at all. <laughs> but we certainly felt like that. We felt that we had nurtured her and we made it get through it, and it was great. That's but right. she's come back, hasn't she? Full of vigour and enthusiasm. And great stories. Great, great stories, stories about yeah. the Tokyo Olympics. So mm. fascinating. Can't wait to catch up with her. And then we're going to be talking to Kat Lee Ryan. Now, Kat Lee Ryan had a bit of a tragedy, actually, in that her sister very sadly committed suicide. But Kat Lee Ryan is a musician. She is a songwriter and she's kind of involved in theatre as well, really. And she wrote a home musical, really, a, a, a piece about her sister. She'd written some songs about her and she's she's putting that out and she, she's going to be talking to us about that. It's, it's like turning tragedy into into something, isn't it? And, and yeah. making into something out of it, into yeah. a positive. Yeah. yeah, and I think she's she's done extremely, extremely well uh, and 
yeah, so looking forward to yeah. being able to listen to her. Yeah, she's fascinating. So the, mm. she, the, the show is called Sparkly Bird and they're touring around with it at the moment. But I think you're going to love Kat. She, uh, she's a really warm, friendly, lovely person. Women Making Waves. Welcome back to Women Making Waves, Imogen Grant. Now, we spoke just before you left for Japan for the Olympics in Tokyo. And we wanted to catch up with you to talk about your experience out there. And we think it's important to recognise both yours and your, your sculling partner, Emily Craig's amazing achievement competing in the lightweight women's double skulls event. You did so, so well. You really did. Thank what you. Was it, what was it like out there, Imogen? Uh, I mean, it was such an experience. The whole thing was just amazing. The village was incredible. The organisation was fantastic. All of the volunteers were so friendly and so happy to help. The course was nuts. The racing was so tight and so fierce. And yeah, it was just, just an incredible experience. It must have been. And you were saying the village was, was it a fun place to be in? What was going on in the evening with a kind of little parties going on? It was all very focused and, and serious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing place to be. It's basically a small city that appears for the two weeks of the Olympic Games. You know, multiple different apartment blocks and the balconies of all of the apartments have the flags of whichever nation is staying in them. So you're going around going, oh, what flag's that? What flag's that? And there's people of all shapes and sizes and, you you know, you need to sort of figure out which sport they might be in because you've got people (laughs) who are towering over you, you know, maybe volleyball players or basketball players and, you know, people that are really, really small, maybe a hockey player or a gymnast and each person there is at the top of their game in whatever sport that they're doing. And yeah, there was just always something happening. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just so cool. Rowing, you compete in the mornings most of the time. You get up pretty early. But quite a lot of the sports compete in the evenings. Think um, diving or hockey or football. And so often after we'd finished dinner, there would be a massive posse of the Indian hockey team heading out for a match and they'd be there blasting music from a speaker they had carrying with them. And you'd just watch it go past. It was honestly incredible. That sounds amazing. That really does. It was, I think, I think we over here in the UK, it took a while for us to try and get used to the time change and, and when you were doing your event. And we kept looking up and seeing when you were on and then they were delaying it because because of the weather. You had some weather problems as well, didn't you, when you were over there? Yes, there was a typhoon, because of <laughs> course there was a typhoon. <laughs> was that quite frightening then, or was it all very in control and you were just sort of told to stay inside, or what happened? I mean, when I say there was a typhoon, it, it didn't hit Tokyo. The main typhoon was far off the coast. They thought it might get a bit closer than it did. And all it did for us was really delay racing for one day because it would have been very unfair conditions for the day that the edge of the typhoon blew through. But it was very windy <laughs> for that couple of days while that weather system moved through. Was it a phenomenal experience racing in the event, you know, your, the final? Because you did so well in the semi-final as well. You won the semi-final, didn't you? Yeah, we did in oh. a world best time and everything. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough, you know, but the lightweight women's double is such a tight event. It's yeah. so competitive. And if you ran that final again and again and again, the people that you'd see on the podium would change every single time. Yes. And... Yeah. Yeah, it was tough not to get a medal, but 
it's not like we made any mistakes. We didn't do anything wrong. It just, we did the race that we did that day and it wasn't quite enough to get onto the podium. Yeah, but a hundredth of a second. I mean, honestly, it couldn't have been any closer. It couldn't no. <laughs> but Imogen, you said recently when you were being interviewed, and I thought this was quite, this was quite open. I love what you said. You said that you came into this games, you set out to empty the tank, push really hard and row a certain way and do it together and have fun. Now, I think you've achieved all that. Do you feel that you've achieved all that? I do. And I think that's why I've come home feeling really proud of what we've achieved and really happy with the summer despite the fact we don't have a medal because actually we ticked almost every single box the only one we didn't tick was getting a medal and you know it it was an inch that changed that so why would I feel any less proud of what we did um yeah exactly Uh, and what about going forward are you now I know that you're going to be picking up your medical career again and you're going to be going back to study are you still thinking about carrying on with rowing and, and, and competing? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I'm going to be stopping rowing anytime soon. I actually finished my first day of placement today. Oh. Uh, so I'm back to it, uh, which is very exciting. Yes, did you enjoy that? That must be such a difference, actually, back to reality. But something quite exciting as well if you're doing placements. Yeah, really exciting. Back to reality, but also just really nice perspective as well. It keeps me busy. It takes my mind off things if I am feeling a bit sad about, you know, not having a medal and, and thinking about those what ifs. And also it just puts everything into perspective. You know, I'm training to be a doctor. I'm training to save lives. Sport is important, but, you know, so is mm. being a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd never feel sad about that. Do you know what? Just making the Olympic team is a massive, massive thing, really, mm. on its own. Yeah. Never mind anything else. Thank you. Uh, and Imogen, for anyone, any any of the women that are athletes or trying to be athletes, you know, it's an incredible thing that you've done. As you know, 2014 is when you started to take up rowing at university. I know you're, you've done many many sports before, but that is an incredible thing to do. But for anyone listening and to recognise that to get to the medal, there are so many challenges to representing your country in the Olympics, isn't it? It's almost the journey before you even get to the medals. Yeah, and it's the journey that no one sees either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I, I think definitely what I would say to any young uh, athlete starting out is just just think about that one next step and just sort of be excited to follow where it goes. I think it's what always kept it really fun and really exciting for me is that you know, each time I kind of achieved one thing, was really happy where I was. I was always able to kind of identify just one next step. I was never thinking years ahead. I was never, ever, you know, in my first two, three, even four years of rowing, thinking about the Olympics. That was way too far off for me. It was always, oh, maybe I can make the slightly better boat. Oh, maybe I can, you know, PB by a little bit more this time. Maybe I can go to this trials and then the next time it was maybe I can not come last in this trials maybe I can (laughs) do well you know it was just that one next step and being excited about making it rather than setting my sights on something that felt unachievable that was far too daunting to try and chip away at 
Yeah. Mm. And and let's not forget as well, Imogen, that you've got the medals. You've won in bronze in the 2018 World Rowing Championships in Bulgaria, another bronze in the 2019 World Rowing Championship in Austria as well, silver mm. medal, silver medal in Italy and and Veressa in Italy with Emily as well. And and Yeah. It's it's important to keep that focus because it's not that that for me is very important that you that we all must remember that. Yeah, it's it's been uh, a very successful season regardless of what the final race looked like. I think the more medals you get, the more of a taste you get for it, Susie. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Yes, <laughs> and looking back at the Olympics in Tokyo. Is there one moment that will always stick in your mind? It doesn't necessarily have to be the race, just a moment of being there that you'll always remember. Oh, I mean, I think there are so many. There was one evening where we, I think we'd got back from rowing and we'd been to dinner and we were walking back from the food hall, which is a whole other story, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, But the Team GB tower block was next to the Olympic rings at the end of the village and the sunset was amazing and we're walking down the kind of the main causeway of the village as well which is where they have all of the flags of the competing nations and you had the sunset walking towards the olympic rings walking towards our team gb apartment block surrounded by the flags of the world and just being there watching someone sprint past someone cycle past someone on a skateboard go past and just taking all of that in that's that's when I was like wow I'm at an Olympic Games magical moment really yeah yeah that sounds amazing and what was the food like you you kind of breezed past the food there (laughs) was it it tricky (laughs) oh no it was just amazing um it's just so so cool because obviously they need to cater for everybody whatever their sort of nutritional requirements might be basically the biggest food hall you could ever imagine around the side you've just got stations of world foods grilled world foods boiled world foods deep fried japanese food (laughs) asian food pizza and pasta and salad and desserts literally anything you could possibly think of and it was 24 hours and you could go in whenever you wanted and pile your plate as high as you liked um and it was just amazing because all of the different countries were dining there and people stop each other and swap pins and, you know, you could do a little bit of celebrity spotting as well. Uh, it's just so vibrant, so cool in there. And the other thing I wanted to do, actually, we're just sort of going back to, the, the, we're getting so many reports in the UK about athletes having to go home because they've caught COVID or having to isolate. Were you conscious of that continually at the Olympics or was it sort of managed quite well while you were there? I think it definitely wasn't something that wasn't on my mind. But I think it was something that was managed very well. The guidelines and the regulations were very clear. And basically, the only time I wasn't wearing a mask was when I was sitting down eating, when I was on the water rowing, and when I was lying on my bed in my bedroom. Wow. Um, and, you know, those are the kind of measures just to keep each other safe and to respect all the other athletes competing as well. Mm-hmm. And everybody was doing a COVID test daily. So anything that did arise was picked up really, really quickly. I know it sort of has affected a couple of events but broadly it it didn't really feature in in my experience of the games which is something I'm really grateful for and you must think I suppose in many ways that you've had to deal with that as an athlete that years gone by Olympics didn't have that on the spec it was never there but you've had to all of you have had to cope with that and competing so it's a lot to deal with isn't it 
yeah and I'm just really glad that it went ahead you know to yeah. be able to get there and compete that was Absolutely. that was the main thing mm-hmm. yeah uh, and, and finally did you go to the homecoming party <laughs> I um I actually didn't. I was oh, racing at um, I was racing at Henley Royal Regatta yesterday. Oh, um, another race. <laughs> so uh, we we chose as me and Emily as a double. We we chose to to race at Henley Royal Regatta, bring a taste of the racing from Tokyo back home to the home crowds for all the Brits who weren't able to travel out. Um, so they were able to watch us race yesterday, and we won our event. Um, oh, so we, we went fantastic. to that instead, but I know that some of the uh, other members of the rowing team who weren't competing did go and had a fantastic time. <laughs> I can imagine. I saw a little bit of it on the television and I thought it looked really, really fun. But, you know, I, I also can't help thinking that all the competitors at Henley, when they saw you were on the list, must just have thought, oh, no. <laughs> we don't stand a chance. <laughs> They're going to win then. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. And I hear in Henley now that uh, women can wear trousers, which is fantastic when they're spectating. That's another bonus. Uh, yes, in the stewards' enclosure. Henley Royal Regatta has been working really hard over the last, you know, recent decade or so on making it more inclusive, you know, making real changes like that, ensuring that men and women, although needing to dress smartly in the stewards enclosure, Mm. it's a bit more equitable and also introducing far more women's events. So this year at Henley Royal Regatta was the first time a junior women's eight was run and was also the first time that a club senior women's eight and a student senior women's eight were run as well. So there were more women racing at the regatta this year than there have ever been. That's fantastic. That's really good to hear. Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you very, very much for joining us again, Imogen Grant. It's been great to catch up. We were watching you very, very closely, (laughs) following, (laughs) following what was happening and getting really excited about it. And we're still excited about it. We think you did absolutely, absolutely fabulously. Yeah. And, oh, um, thank you. And I hope that uh, that you enjoy your medical career. Do stay in touch with us. And uh, we'll be following you from here on. Thank you very much, Imogen. Thank you very thank much. You. Maybe you'll see me at a regatta next year. You never oh, know. listen to our interviews by visiting womenmakingwaves.co.uk We're meeting a performer today. Kat Lee Ryan is from the fabulous Red Diesel, a theatre company which is described as a jazz soul experience. It's not just about music, but includes visuals such as photos, videos, live dance and trapeze. The group strongly believes in bringing their entertainment to everybody, regardless of income. Thank you very much for joining me today, Kat Lee Ryan. Hiya, hello. Hi. (laughs) Now, firstly, I've been listening to your recordings and your voice is great. When did you get into singing? When I was little, I've just always sang, always, at school and then out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just something that really make, I really enjoy it, so I just keep doing it, yeah. regardless of whether anybody else likes it or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think everybody is going to like it. You do have an absolutely brilliant and very strong voice. And you're a musician as well. You play the keyboards and various other bits and pieces. Did you get into that as a kid as well? Yeah, 
Well, because I'm what, 55 now, so it was a bit boring when we were kids compared with what you've got now, really. Do you know what I mean? There was no internet. There were like three TV shows on a Saturday. And then on top of that, we had only one kid at the top of the street and then one kid at the bottom. So if they were both out, you had nothing to do. Do you know what I mean? So I just used to spend a lot of time tinkering on a piano and mucking about on there. And the school I went to was really musical. So I just think it was a combination of all those things. Oh, that's good. That's really good that you were encouraged at school as well. So did you do lots of Very lessons so. and, and stuff like that on the keyboards? I kind of taught myself up until about the age of 13. And then my auntie spotted me and she sort of said to my mum, has she been having lessons? And my mum said, no. She sort of forced her. She said, oh, no, you need to do that. You need to get her lessons. So um, I had lessons from when I was 13. I was already playing two-handed before that because our music teacher taught us where C was on the piano, what's the treble clef, what's your bass clef. So it was because of the junior school, that really high level of musical training we had there, because we finished grade five theory by the age of about 10. What? That's quite a lot. That I know, because he, he taught loads of children like that. He just said it was possible, so we all did it. He was called Mr. Wiles, and we were doing like operettas, you know, like the kids' version of um, the magic flute, which is called the golden flute. Uh-huh. So he would just have the choir going in three-part harmony, and we would just learn all these, these operas, because... He said, it's quite possible we're going to do it. So we did. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That's just somebody saying you amazing. can do it. So you believe it and you do it. He must yeah. have been quite an inspirational yeah. teacher, actually, when you were growing he, up. He was he was amazing. When I look back and I've got children now, I mean, they're both pretty grown up now, but their music lessons were nothing like ours. We were all reading and writing music, 9, 10 and 11 at those ages. Everybody had to do it regardless. And everybody played an instrument, even if it was just recorder. You know, it gave you a real chance if you thought, oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. You've done all the hard bits. That's amazing, the difference that teachers can make. It's all sorted. Yeah. And what happened when you went on to leave the school? Were you you interested in theatre? Were you doing acting and stuff like that? Or is it always purely music that you've been uh, into? And I'm not very good at acting, but I did like being in school plays and stuff. I'm more clown about, really, more than acting. But I do like the idea of being somewhere where it's all immersive, where everywhere you look, it's beautifully laid out and it's all to do with what you're experiencing. Yeah. So when we when we did gigs, I always used to like to put candles on all the tables and turn the lights out and the tables had to be just right if you've got control over that. Mm-hmm. But for this particular show for Sparkly Bird, I wanted a dancer and an aerialist to be the main characters. I didn't want to talk at all. I wanted them to do, well, they don't talk either, actually. A narrator does that bit. Mm-hmm. So that you'd be watching them and watching visuals at the back and hearing the story told by the narrator. And then the songs kind of expand on each section of the story. Yeah. with a light show with it so it was quite a lot and before that we hadn't really done all that but I'd always kind of wanted to do it and I thought when I had this story which is a true story I mm. thought it was about time that we tried it. Yes I wanted to ask you about that I have a suspicion that this is a story that is probably very close to your heart by the sound of it. Yeah well it's about my sister when she was, what, it was 2006 she took her own life and not me, not her husband, not anyone close to her had any idea that that was going to happen. There was one friend who knew that she was depressed, but she was expecting the depression to go a little bit like bipolar, so rise and fall and, you know, bad days and good days. And we, none of us knew. And so that was a massive shock. And I think she was going up into the loft to get some Christmas decorations. And it was actually my daughter's birthday as well. which And it was all unusual because my sister used to, you know, she was a present buyer. She loved buying presents and wrapping them. and They'd always be ready before 
and she'd completely forgotten my daughter's birthday, which was unusual. Mm. Anyway, she went into the loft, and the next thing you know, she's made a noose out of a dressing gown cord, and she's she's gone. Her husband finds her about three hours later. So she picked the time carefully as well. You know, she knew that it would be her husband that found her, not her child, because her child would be at school. And we were just completely astounded and didn't know what happened. And in the end, we came to the conclusion that she was perimenopausal and she'd also just been sterilised. So two things had happened. One was that her hormone levels had dropped significantly. And then the perimenopause on top of that, it just upset her chemical levels horribly. Mm-hmm. She's had some trauma in her childhood. We both had. And that wasn't sorted. She'd never gone to talk about it. So we just think it was a combination of all of those things producing these horrible, horrible low moods, which this time got so low that she did what she did. I think maybe if the phone had gone or somebody knocked on the door, she might have come downstairs She might have had a coffee and the mood might have lifted again and it might have been okay. But remember, it was was 2006. There was no Facebook, no internet, nobody to talk to at late night. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. She was in um, North Yorkshire and I was in Hastings. So I only heard her on the phone. So when she talked on the phone to me, she was like, oh, I've just got turns and I'm doing this and this Mm. is happening and blah, 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 blah. No, the next phone call would be, oh, my nails are falling out. I can't work. I can't talk to my customers. I don't know what's happening. I didn't know anything about how depression works at all. I just thought, you know, I'd have children, so a little bit of baby blues and that, you know, but not that. And she had had it in her 20s. She'd had it after a bad breakup with her then boyfriend. She'd gone into this quite depressed state, but then it got better and she was okay. At the time when she was saying she was feeling low, it was just like, well, you would given up drink and smoking as well. So there's a lot of changes. We're just like, oh, well, you'll probably you'll be all right. It'll be okay. And yeah. it just wasn't. Oh, awful. That's really, really sad. Mm. And I'm sorry to hear that. You, you, you turned you. that out into something quite beautiful, actually. Did you write the music as well? Yeah. When I write, I write all the time, like it's like a diary. Some of the songs are really great. Some of them are useless, but they all exist in books and they're all dated. So I'm quite methodical about keeping everything because it's always good to go back and take a rubbishy song and twist it around and then you can use it again. So mm-hmm. I keep it like a, a musical sketchbook and some of the songs get used. So I went back eight years later. Was, I was just looking through songs and I always write. So I write maybe three or four songs a month. That's normal. So in effect, I had how I felt from the first hearing about it on the phone, all the way through the grief, how that went to when the shock wore off, which was about six months later, because you get shocked, don't you, with grief? Yes. And then when I looked, I had evidence of some of the things that she'd said to me. There was one of the things she said. She said that she'd been talking to the nuns in the bottom of the garden. So where she lived, it had been a priory. But they'd taken all the priory down, used the stones and built some beautiful houses. And she bought one of these with her husband. And that's where she lived. Mm-hmm. Now, in our family, we always talk to dead people. That's quite normal. <laughs> Not everybody thinks it is. But in our family, that's it's, it's a thing. We, it's, you just do. If you do, if you hear people, you're going to talk to them. So that in itself didn't ring any alarm bells. And I'd found this song, which actually isn't in the show. And that was describing that. And I thought, oh, yeah. So there were, there were clues about perhaps things that were going on that we weren't clocking because when somebody gets unwell gradually you just don't notice so I've used some of the songs where I'd been feeling sort of ill to describe the descent and then there were songs describing the actual 
event and then how you feel afterwards and the effect and the ripple effect. And between all of those songs, it kind of made a picture, a story. So that's what we did. We just used 12 songs chronologically and then gave them to the aerialist and the dancer. We went through what I was trying to say and then they interpreted that their way. They were amazing. The dancer's called Catherine Bernabes and the aerialist is called Ms. Wells. And they were incredible. The dancer represents Sue, my sister, kind of in her sombre state. And the aerialist represents her in her sort of really highly excitable, happy state, because I think there was bipolar running through it as well. It's difficult to say now because she's not here to ask. But from the patterns, that's what we thought. So you've got the right dressed, flowery, sparkly bird on a trapeze going, wee! <laughs> some of the time. And then you've got this massively depressed, almost cripplingly depressed, dressed in black dancer. And it's the interaction between which one is going to win. And of course, in this instance, it, it was the dancer. She was the one that won in the end and killed off the aerialist. So it's the two sides of a personality, except for one tune where the dancer is me. And then Miz is my sister when she was happy because we went out for a meal together. It was her birthday. You're going to be touring and doing pop-up theatres with that show, I believe. Yes, yes. The first one is in a car park. It's an 800 home housing estate. There's no theatre up there. There's no pub. There's just houses. And we're going to do it there first because it's it's unique. It's got it's, it's like a valley. People will be able to sit in their gardens and look up and see it. They won't actually have to move. The sound is really, really good, actually. I love the music that you do. And it's not, it's not just you. You've got a, a band with you as well. You've got your, your husband and a couple of other people, haven't you? Yeah, I've got an amazing band. Um, the band's called The Fabulous Red Diesel, and the members are my husband on drums, that's Will or Duke Boom, on double bass, tuba, trumpet, and sometimes trombone, Beatrice Garlic, or, as we know, Misbehave. And then on trumpet and guitar, and sometimes on modular synth. There's a modular synthesizer noise on in, on Sparkly Bird, and he plays a bit of violin as well, scratchy violin when we need it. That's Rabbi Jaffa Delicious, also known as Simon Dobell. So yeah, they're fantastic. They're amazing. What I do, I bring the song in, and it's words and chords and shapes. So you've got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, whatever, and the words and the chords are there. And I go right, you do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> really and they said and they just put in whatever bass line they want whatever trumpet choose your instrument choose what you want to play so the arrangements are very much like four people even though the song it will work with me on its own when they bring their stuff in it starts to change and it's to you know pull pull it over there a little bit or grow it up there a bit or Mm-hmm. So it's really good, really good fun. I love the fact that you're saying that you want to bring your entertainment to people that maybe can't afford to go to, you know, because it is expensive to go night out to theatres and places like that, isn't it? It costs a fortune. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here, where we live in Hastings, they do something really amazing called um, Stayed Saturdays. And that's where I first thought of it. And the Stayed is an open space near the seafront. And the council are amazing. And they pay for entertainment, outdoor pop-up every week to come into this little space, partly for tourists and partly for locals, I think. But it means that you can walk up there with a cup of tea in your hand, you know, because we live around the corner, really. And you can see some amazing theatre or gigs or whatever that you would not get to see. Mm-hmm. And the quality is amazing. We, we very rarely went to theatres because when you're musicians, you're just not earning, at our level, you're not earning enough. 
Yeah. You're just not. And especially with children as well. I mean, you know, four of you, you're looking at sometimes something like 80 to 100 pounds to get anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's just some for some of us, it's just like, well, it's not a priority. So we just have to leave it. But we stayed Saturdays. And it meant that you could just go in, just walk up there and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that's a really good idea. What if we did that? What if we just took what we do to places where there isn't theatre, where people can just rock up with a cup of tea? And enjoy it yeah and I also used to go to I don't know if you do you know um in Highgate Woods they used to do like a, a pop-up Shakespeare in the woods I think I've heard of it yes yes it was wonderful and my kids were small then so you'd all the way walking in the woods and you'd just sit there with the sandwiches and a cut you know a couple of cartons of orange juice or whatever and you got a free play yeah. and it was everything that really sticks in your mind because people who can afford to go every week brilliant but when you can't it's a real treat so it we is. just thought, right, you know, let's go down them routes, see, see, see if we can do it. So that's the plan, is that we're going to try try these two and then next year start to move it around the place, you know, across Sussex first to see how it goes. Oh, brilliant. I see you've also played alongside quite well-known people and you supported them and whatnot, and it's the James Taylor Quartet, Skunk and Nancy, and, and Jeff Buckley. Yeah. Was that great fun to do? Was that really exciting? Yeah, the James Taylor was the most recent, and it was awesome. Watching him setting up, and then actually, I don't think many people know this, but he's an amazing classical pianist. And so he's sitting there and he's, he's got all his big organ on stage and everything. And then he sits down at the grand piano because it was in St. Mary's in the castle and he starts playing some Debussy. Oh my God. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. It was really stunning. I mean, the gig was stunning that he did, but that was just like, I just didn't expect that. He's an amazing pianist. He's amazing. And Jeff Buckley, I didn't know who it was. I was by myself. I, I just turned up for an acoustic gig. And it was really full. I thought, oh, it's funny. It's really full. <laughs> <laughs> and I finished. I'm like, oh, Jeff Buckley. And I said to Will, I said, oh. And he said, you've just done what? And I went, oh, it's just somebody called Jeff Buckley or something. <laughs> I didn't know it was. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, yeah, it was rammed. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, it's good, isn't it? It's rammed. Have you anything else planned? Other than, of course, doing Sparkly Bird, which we know about. Anything else on the horizon? Yeah, there's two really big ones. It's going to be really fun. Um, one of them is the, the Rye Jazz Festival. We'll be playing at the Butter Market. And then we're going to be at Theatre de Guan in Fishguard for Abba Jazz. We're doing um, a big jazz festival in Fishguard. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be very exciting. Excellent. Well, I hope we see you uh, shortly in the Cambridge area as well, actually. That would be really Well, yeah, really anybody nice. who wants to book us, we are, we'll come. <laughs> We've just got to um, find an appropriate little theatre. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. It's been fun as as well as kind of sad bits as well when you were talking about um, how you put the sparkly bird together because that's pretty awful for you. When I watched it, I was kind of thinking, it's not depressing, although you would think it should be, but something that you say at the end when you're putting the credits up is that we need to talk about things like that. And it's only in talking about things like that, suicide and people feeling depressed, that you will actually stop people doing it. I think yeah. that's quite an interesting thing, actually. Yeah, those facts and figures I got from a site. But the thing about suicide is people think that if you talk about it, it makes people want to do it. And that's mm. the opposite. If you talk it through, the stats suggest that it's one in three people. It might even be more than that. They are fleeting thoughts, and for most people, they'll disappear. But actually addressing them 
and talking about them helps you to deal with them and it helps you to understand that it's not real. It seems real, but it's not real. But if you don't talk about it, you don't know that, if you see what I mean. Yeah. You think that it's really totally real and that you probably should act on it. But when you start to talk about it and you talk about it with other people who've had the same thoughts, who can then tell you, well, yeah, I felt like that for three weeks, but then I did this and I did this and now I'm in a much different place and I'm really pleased that I didn't do that because I found out that there was a way out of my situation because what it is is you don't want your life to be like it is yeah. and you don't know how to change it. So what you have to do is to try and help the person identify the bit of their life that they don't want anymore and change that, not end the life. That's yes. the trick. Yes, I think that is a really, really good point that you made, actually. And I, I, I read that as well. And it's, it's, it's not that you want to end your life. You just want to change your life. I think you said yes. something along those lines. And I yeah. think that's very, very true. Yeah. It might be yeah. that you've got unresolved trauma or that you're just doing something that you really hate or somebody's doing something to you that you hate. Mm-hmm. But that is not your life. That's something that can change because yeah. you can change every part of your life, even things that you think you can't speak about. You can. You really, really can. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's important. One of the big traumas is childhood sexual abuse. And people think they can't talk about that for one reason or another. Yeah. But when you do and when you let it go, you discover if you work through it and let it out, you feel better. And that is one of the biggest reasons that people do it, suicide, because they just think there's no way out of that one. You think, oh, my God, I just feel so bad about it. I can't cope with this anymore. And so I know what I'll do. But actually, shockingly enough, there are groups that deal with it. You can chat about it and it will make the problem seem much more manageable. Yeah. Gets out of your head. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Cat Lee Ryan. Yeah, I enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> I really will be interested in when you're in the area and seeing fabulous red diesel. I wish you luck for your upcoming gigs. I think you'll have great you fun. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Yeah, it was lovely talking to you, Linda. Nice Thank talking you. to you. And this is the title track from Sparkly Bird.
your own clothes picked out by friends I nearly reached inside to hold you You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Quite inspiring, really, wasn't it, Susie? Both of these guests that we had on today, I mean, we we talk about this a lot, and a lot of our guests are inspiring, but, you know, one Olympian... I loved when she was talking about Tokyo and talking about the experience that she had there. It just, yeah. I, I almost felt like I was there when she was talking about it, didn't you? Yeah, very much so. And you asked that great question, I think, Linda, you know, the, the experience of not only doing the event and racing and competing, but actually living the Olympic village life Mm -hmm. and she was telling us about all sorts of things you remember the Indian team that were competing in the evening Mm -hmm. it was just a lovely insight something that we don't often hear about do we we just hear about certain events and so I thought that was a fantastic moment in that in that feature yeah yeah she's brilliant and she's going to do so well in everything that she does she's so lovely as well really really love her that's Imogen Grant and then, of course, we had Cat Lee Ryan. You know what fascinated me when she was talking about when she was a kid? And they were really doing advanced music at school. I know! Really advanced. And, and because the teacher just kind of went, yeah, you can do it. And just if you've get got on. a teacher like that, whose expectations are quite high, it's a bit like climbing over a big hurdle. If you don't know it's a big hurdle, you just do it, don't you? No, you're absolutely right. And and I love that part in the interview, Linda, where she talks about practising at home and then her aunt said to her mum, you need to get Kat in to have some lessons. This yeah. is rather lovely. And that's exactly and, what happens, isn't it? Yeah, it it's is. Exactly, sometimes yeah. your parents don't pay any attention to what they're doing. It takes <laughs> yes, it's exactly the same. My mum's twin used to come in and she'd go, you know, she's really good at that. You really need to be encouraging her to do that. <laughs> and yet they, <laughs> they never notice themselves. 
I think it, it just plays on that moment of having a fantastic auntie or somebody in the family that looks on the outside in instead of being you know, so caught up in family life that actually you don't realise that there are things that mm. your children are good at and yeah. it takes somebody else to do it. And I think for me, that was probably a very pivotal moment mm. in her life. I think it probably was. Mm. But the, the show is great. Um, you can actually see it on YouTube. So if you want to search Sparkly Bird and Fabulous Red Diesel, you'll find it on YouTube and you can watch it as well. I like the fact that they're going around and trying to allow as many people as possible to see it. They're not being elitist and, you know, charging a small fortune and see it. It's all about community and letting the community get involved. I really, really like that. I think that's a really good point, Linda. Absolutely. So thank you to Imogen Gron and to Kat Lee Ryan today. So that's all we have time for on this programme today. You can uh, you can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at WomenMakingWaves. And you can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or you can visit our website, of course, womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all our interviews. And if you know of a woman who's making waves, we would love to hear from you. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye.